There's two ways I'd like to go about sharing Mary's intimate connection with the passion of Jesus in entering into the sorrowful mysteries of the Most Holy Rosary, understanding Mary as mother of the Eucharist, and again, trying to give you insights that you can take away from this retreat and live through prayers that you already practice regularly. And most of these things I'm sharing with you are probably within you already. That's the best, best retreat is when we touch into what's already in you. It's already in you. It's just bringing it forward. So a insight that was given to me years ago, giving Divine Mercy Sunday retreats and other times speaking about the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. And this will connect to the Sorrowful Mysteries is on the Our Father beads of the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, we offer the Eucharist. Eternal Father, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. We offer the body, the blood, the soul, and divinity. And remember these seven aspects of the Eucharist. Body, blood, soul, divinity, really, truly, and substantially present. So I offer the Eucharist, the Eucharistic face of Christ, and the Eucharist to the Father in the Holy Spirit. And then on the Hail Mary beads, pray a decade of, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. And this is the sorrowful mysteries, his passion, his, his passionate love for the Father's honor and glory and for the salvation and sanctification of mankind. When I pray the first decade of the Divine Mercy Chaplet, I think of Jesus in the garden, just like in the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary. So I offer the Eucharist, and I go to the garden with Jesus. And I'm sure in his heart, his prayer was, for the, for the sake of this sorrowful passion, have mercy on the whole world, right? That was in his heart. And we'll develop that some more when we look at these five mysteries of this most holy rosary, but I offer the Eucharist and I go to the garden with Jesus and pray for all mankind, mercy on mankind. I offer the Eucharist and I go to the scourging at the pillar with Jesus, asking that all mankind will 
love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, their whole body included, and for the purity of mankind. And then I offer the Eucharist, and I go to the crowning with thorns. And pray that mankind will recognize Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords, a, a true crown of gold and precious jewels that he really should have on his head, that he does by analogy in heaven. And then I offer the Eucharist and I carry the cross and have all the stations of the cross. Then I offer the Eucharist and go to the cross with Mary at the foot of the cross and have the seven last words of Jesus from the cross. But the point is, I can't go into these mysteries without the strength of the Eucharist. I need to draw my strength from the Eucharist to go to the garden. I need the strength of the Eucharist to go to the scourging. I need the strength of the Eucharist to go to the crowning with thorns. I need the strength of the Eucharist to carry my cross. I need the strength of the Eucharist to stay on my cross. The Eucharist was established Holy Thursday evening, but the Mass is really the, the beginning at Holy Thursday, consummated on the cross, okay, and then followed through to the resurrection. That's the Eucharist, the passion and resurrection of Jesus, right? So, this is an important point to understand. You're, you're connecting the fifth luminous mystery, the tenth mystery of the Most Holy Rosary, going into the sorrowful mysteries, but this is all now dependent on the strength of the Eucharist, which is Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity, really, truly, and substantially present. And that's the offering that's pleasing to the Father. Okay? So... As our parents taught us when we were little, when we have suffering, what are we supposed to do? I see all the, everyone, offer it up, right? Offer it up. But, you know, I offered in union with Jesus through Mary, right? To give it value. And to do it all with loving trust and total surrender and cheerfulness. God loves a cheerful giver. I may not have exterior cheerfulness, but interiorly, from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, you know, we keep our eyes fixed on Christ, the inspirer and perfecter of our faith, who embraced his cross, heedless of the shame for the joy that lay ahead of him, right? So we go forward in Jesus. We're baptized in Jesus. In him we live and move and have our being, but our Blessed Mother is going to teach us to stay in Jesus. Another thing to understand is, you know, when Jesus was carrying his cross, he didn't do it alone. And sometimes I, I find that people sometimes run away from the cross because they're trying to do it on their own. Jesus was doing the will of the Father when he carried the cross. Jesus was moved 
to carry the cross in the Holy Spirit. On the way of the cross, there was the Blessed Virgin Mary at the fourth station and at the twelfth station, right? And of course, we'll go into the thirteenth and fourteenth station as well. But we can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. Jesus himself did this in communion with the Father's will in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he had the Blessed Virgin Mary there. Okay? St. Padre Pio says, Jesus is never without the cross. And the good news is that the cross is never without Jesus. So run to the cross. Okay? Run to the cross. Run to love. So let's enter into the Sorrowful Mysteries, Mary as Mother of the Eucharist, teaching us to draw strength from the Eucharist, to go into these mysteries and never keep them isolated. It's connected to the plan of God flowing from the joyful mysteries to the luminous mysteries to the sorrowful mysteries leading to the glorious mysteries. You have to keep them connected. Otherwise, when your sorrows come, you'll just you might lose sight of the big picture. The first sorrowful mystery, the agony in the garden. After Jesus establishes the Most Holy Eucharist at the Last Supper, saying that he's going to give his body and his blood, And he gives a a new commandment of love. Love each other as I have loved you. Not just as as you love yourself anymore, but as as I have loved you. And he, he, he gave us that example of washing feet to make ourselves little, to be servants. He taught us the great priestly prayer in John's Gospel, chapter 17. But all of the discourse of Jesus at the Last Supper, uh, going in, you know, St. John's Gospel, uh, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, but 14, 15, 16, 17 are all really prayer and teaching on the Trinity in many ways in St. John's Gospel. The, uh, Jesus led the apostles out to the Garden of Olives, They were singing the Hallel hymns, which are Psalms 113 through 118. That was part of the Passover practice. Hallel is at the root of praise. Alleluia, Hallel, Yah. Psalms 113 to 118. He left the upper room, went down through the Kidron Valley. There's a little valley there. Then you start to go up the Mount of Olives. And there was obviously an olive grove there. And Gethsemane, the word Gethsemane means basically 
it's that stone that crushes the olives when they press out the olive oil. So he goes out to Gethsemane, and he's just going to be crushed. The oil, the oil of the Holy Spirit is going to be pouring out, but he's going to be crushed. He takes Peter, James, and John near the rock where he goes to pray to his Father in the Holy Spirit, just like in the Mass. He's, the Mass is to the Father in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is praying as priest to the Father in the Holy Spirit. And what is he praying for? This is part of what Mary wants to teach you. These are good questions, just like I brought up what was Mary praying for at the Annunciation, right? That's a good question. Well, when you know Jesus and his heart, his Eucharistic heart, he's praying to glorify the Father, do his will. We know that from the scripture, thy will be done, not mine. You know, Father, may this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done, right? He's, he's also praying for mankind. He's seen all the sins of the world that he's going to take on himself, and he starts to sweat blood. This is the God-man who has nothing to do with sin whatsoever. Sin is repulsive to him. Sin is absolutely repulsive to God. And yet, he's going to take on the sins of the world upon himself. The salvation of mankind for those who accept the gift. And what he's doing is he's entering into the depths of our poverty. I've quoted the scripture many times. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at. Rather, he emptied himself and took the form of a slave. And it goes on, being born in the likeness of man. He was known to be of human estate, and it was thus that he humbled himself, obediently accepting death, even death on the cross. After that comes the exaltation, which are the glorious mysteries. Because of this, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every other name, so that at Jesus' name, Every knee must bend in the heavens, on the earth, and under the earth, and every tongue proclaim the glory of God the Father, Jesus Christ is Lord. The exaltation comes after the abasement, the humbling, this suffering, getting underneath everybody. So Jesus is in the garden, and he is praying on behalf of all of mankind to the point of even sweating blood. Have you ever prayed for mankind to the point of sweating blood? I'll admit I haven't. I want to get there. I really do. I love Jesus. I know you love Jesus. I love Jesus so much. I want to experience everything he experienced. I do. So before I die... God willing, I'll be able to sweat blood for, for sin. I think God will give me that grace. I have to get purified a lot more before that comes, I'm sure. But one thing I, I, I've learned in prayer is that 
to really have powerful prayer heard by God, you have to enter into the poverty of others. Many people today will call it empathy, okay? But really, to pray entering into their poverty, to have a oneness with them. That's when your prayer is really powerful. As opposed to praying like I'm up on some pedestal. You come to me and you say, Father, please pray for me. And I, I say, oh yes, my child, I will, I will honor you by saying some prayers for you from my high place up here. I will, I will be kind enough to condescend and say some prayers for you. Do you want me to pray for you that way? Really? Or can I get down so low on my knees and sweat blood and be one with you? Have a heart that's united with your heart. Have a need that's united with your need. Have a oneness with you. Entering into the poverty of the other and praying that way. Jesus is praying for us that way. And that goes right into the Mass, the passion. He's a passionate lover. The word kindness, a simple way to think of kindness, is the state of being the same kind as another person. Ness, if you look in the dictionary, ness on the end of a word is the state or being the state or being of the same kind as another. And that's amazing that God sees himself as the same kind as human beings, little human beings. What a great God. Part of this sharing I'm giving you really came from understanding Mother Teresa, St. Mother Teresa's teachings about serving the poorest of the poor. And she said that the poor show us how we should be. And she said, and the poor show us who we are. I didn't like that second part when I heard it. But St. Francis says we're all lepers. Some of us just hide it better than others. It's true. We're all one. We all have our limitations. We all have our needs. And the greatest need is salvation. After praying for the glory of God... and giving him thanks, and offering him reparation, those three parts of the Mass. You know, there's four parts of the prayer. There's the adoration, the thanksgiving, the reparation. Then there's petitions. What should be some of the petitions? The petitions should be for the salvation and sanctification of souls, right? The relief and the release of the holy souls in purgatory. 
You should pray that you're given the gift of eternal life and others are given that gift. You want to be the same. What you would pray for yourself, you should be praying for others. That you become a saint. That you respond to grace. That you please God. So Jesus enters into our poverty. And this also relates to what he shared with St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta when he spoke to her on that train in India when he said, come be my light. I want you to go in the holes where people live where they don't want me because they don't know me. Wow. People don't want Jesus because they don't know him. His heart is saddened by that. And so that opened me up to the fact that I have to be willing to go into those holes and be with people in their poverty. I didn't like to hear that either. I don't mind standing outside the hole and throwing in a bunch of books and teachings and maybe some food and some water, even a rope, you know, all that. You know, I like to feel good about myself by... You know, I'm I'm helping people out. But to go into that hole, not just for like five minutes, but to go into that hole? Yeah, go into that hole. Jesus came into the hole of mankind, being born in the cave in Bethlehem. That's the way we glorify God. Come be my light. People don't know, they don't know Jesus And that's the reason they don't want him. If they knew him, he's irresistible. But what I've learned is that that poverty that we all have as human beings, poverty or or littleness, according to St. Therese of the Child Jesus, or or St. Clair of Assisi, littleness, you know, St. Francis, littleness, Or St. Paul, powerlessness, he uses that word. Actually, one translation is impotence. Men don't like to hear that. You know, know, a man's not going to walk around and say, I'm impotent. But impotence means I have no power. Impotence, I have no potency. I have no power. Of myself, I have no power. But... It's in my weakness that I'm strong because then I depend on Jesus. When I'm weak, then I am strong. So I rely on the Eucharist and I can then go into people's poverty in the garden and really pray for them. I'm talking about really pray for them. That's where real prayer begins. I've I've learned that. It's hard to be there. I like to be out of that hole and even sometimes up on that little pedestal And yes, I'll pray for you. Little people, I'll pray for you. But to be one with you, you know? It's amazing how when you get a terminal disease, you sure can pray for others with terminal diseases in powerful ways. I'm not saying you need to get a terminal disease. 
Let's hope you don't have to get one to learn to pray that way. But realize that, you know, we're all lepers. We all do have a terminal disease. (laughs) And we need God. And the fruit of that mystery is, of course, contrition. Contrition. But Mary will teach you how to pray that way. The Blessed Virgin Mary enters our poverty and prays for us. She doesn't doesn't just stay up on a pedestal and say, I am the Immaculate One. She comes to us so many times. You know, anytime you see a statue with Our Lady's knee bent, you know what that signifies? It means she's coming towards you as a mother. That's always beautiful. When you look at like Our Lady Guadalupe and other statues of Our Lady, when her knee is bent, she's stepping towards you as a mother. Guadalupe, um, you know, she also comes to us as a mother at Lourdes. She comes to us as a mother at Fatima. She comes to us today. She's at the foot of the cross. But Jesus teaches us how to really pray right there. And that's a Eucharistic prayer. Remember, blessed, broken, and given away. We're going to pour out, we're going to give our whole body and and all of our blood for our brothers and sisters. But first to glorify God. The main focus is glorify God. That's what worship is. So you move to the second sorrowful mystery, which is the scourging at the pillar. And of course, Jesus, St. John's Gospel, chapter 6, you know, my body is true food and my blood is true drink. And unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life in you. That's supernatural life he's talking about. In other places, he said, what good is it to gain the gain the whole world and lose your soul. He also says, unless you lose your, basically your earthly life, your bios, then you won't have eternal life, which is zoe in Greek. Jesus gives every part of his being to the Father, being scourged mercilessly. Flesh and blood being torn right off of him. Interesting that the fruit of that mystery is purity. I reflect on that often. Why of the 20 mysteries is the fruit of the, the fruit of the scourging is purity? Well, one reflection I've been given is that true purity Purity, the highest level of purity, again, is the greatest commandment. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's purity. Most people just focus on the bodily purity, and they should. That's step one. For example, with fasting, if you can't fast from food, then it's hard to progress to the higher level fasts. Now, those who have dietary, medical 
conditions. God wants you to use your reason. Okay? But still, we need to fast in order to feast. We fast from food to feast on the word of God. But the highest level of purity is what Our Lady teaches us. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You see, purity is 100%, right? If something's pure, it's 100%, right? That's pure. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's 100%. That's pure. See, most people think of purity as just, you know, again, like I said, the fleshly part, and that's very important. And in fact, that applies specifically to the scourging. Because every part of your flesh belongs to God. And that's what Jesus is showing us. Everything belongs to the Father. That's where his heart is. It belongs to the Father. Naked we came into this world. Naked we shall return again. God gave and God takes away. Give it all to God. St. Mother Teresa, in her letter to priest, it's got a little bit of length to it, not, not very lengthy, but at the heart of it is, you know, God cannot fill what's already full. He must empty you. So don't be afraid of him emptying you, and don't be afraid of seeing your nothingness. And then she says, and if God wants to cut you up into 20,000 pieces... Tell the Lord, every piece belongs to you, Lord. As a matter of fact, part of that letter goes on, and I have to smile. I was at one of their, all of their houses are called tabernacles. Isn't that beautiful? All the, all the missionaries at Charity's houses are called tabernacles. They live in the tabernacle. And I was at the tabernacle of the gift of love in, in, in Naga City, Philippines. And for the old and the elderly and the children and the dying and, and also a house of formation. But they were passing around this basket with these little pictures of mother with a little um, relic and a quote from mother. And the one I picked was in part of that letter, which said... Take whatever he gives and give whatever he takes with a big smile. Now, I knew what that meant. That scared me then. You know, I've grown enough. You know, early in the journey, taking whatever he gives, you know, those are the first phases. That's pretty good stuff. I like, you know, he always draws you with these sweet consolations and you know you know there's a few trials along the way and you're getting you know you're growing and you're learning some things along the way but take whatever he gives I like you know okay sure mother smiling at me here but you know take whatever he gives okay and you know yeah there's a trial a temptation a persecution a struggle there I give these teachings on TTPS trials temptations persecutions and struggles TTPS. 
And in each trial, temptation, persecution, and struggle, the main point is to look for the grace. The trial, the temptation, the persecution, and the struggle is like, they're like the wolves. You can see the wolves and their teeth. They're showing their teeth and they're growling and they're ready to attack, right? I can sure see. I know when there's a trial, a temptation, a persecution, or a struggle. I think all of you know when there are those things, right? But all they're saying is, there's the good shepherd. He's right there. Don't look at the wolves. Look at the good shepherd. He's right there. And he's sitting there with his, his rod and his staff. And he's just sitting there going, like he is right there in the Eucharist. I'm right here. Look at me. Don't look at that trial, temptation, persecution, and struggle. I know you're used to looking at those things. But I'm right here. Don't you want to look at me? I got it handled. I'm the good shepherd. That's grace, but grace is small and grace is invisible and we're not, we're not used to looking for small things like the mustard seed. So I take whatever he gives and as you grow along the journey, it moves from the constellations to a little bit more TTPS, trials, temptations, persecutions, and struggles. But then you move to that place where Give whatever he takes. I didn't know that was part of the deal. <laughs> Everyone, I'm glad just you laugh because, you know, I th- that means that the people here know what's going on. It's part of the deal. Let's just get it clear. It's part of the deal. Give whatever he takes and guess what he's going to take. What's the next part of it? What's he going to take? Everything. 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 So just smile. The scourging at the pillar. Wow. Now this was private revelation. Mary of Agrita, city of God. Another private revelation. But, you know, while while Jesus was being scourged, actually, they, the joy within his heart of doing God's will was radiating so much. They were trying, they were so furious. They were trying to wipe the smile off his face. They were infuriated. When he, gra- when he embraced the cross, he embraced that cross with an embrace of love. They didn't know what to do with him. Everything that they thought they could intimidate him with, he just, you know, smiles and embraces. How about us? Now, if this is being recorded, I'll probably have to listen to this part in purgatory for 20 years. Well, at a minimum. No. In in, in the 33 Days to Merciful Love, St. Therese, there's a beautiful teaching during that journey. It's a great journey. changed my life. I recommend it. St. Therese, her spirituality. You know, she, she was telling one sister, don't say you're going to go to purgatory. You know, trust in his mercy. You know, trust in his mercy. Trust in his mercy. And, um, you know, because, you know, let, let's try to get to heaven. And, and I do want to bring on that subject. So it might not seem like it's related, but I, I have it on my heart to try to bring into every retreat. Especially for the faithful like you. The church does teach there are 
the gifts of indulgences based on the merits of Jesus Christ, that treasury of merits that he won in his victory, in his passion and victory, okay? So if you obtain a plenary indulgence, a soul from purgatory can be released one a day if you get a plenary indulgence every day, okay? And what I do is I just give them to the Blessed Virgin Mary. I'm consecrated to Jesus through her anyway, so part of the consecration is everything belongs to her. But there's five conditions to obtain a plenary indulgence, but most of you are doing these things. And so I try to teach this so you're not wasting them. The first condition is that you do an indulgence act. Okay, you've seen in many prayer books, you know, this prayer has 300 days, this prayer has 500 days. But there's four acts that have a plenary indulgence attached to them, four acts, if you do other conditions. And most of you do these. The first is a holy half hour. Now, most of us do a holy hour, but a holy half hour at a minimum. That's an indulgence act, plenary. The way of the cross is an indulgence act, plenary indulgence, the way of the cross. A rosary in church is a plenary indulgence. Or if you're sick and not able to be there, if you had the intention to be there, because you couldn't make it because you're sick or infirmed, it counts. That's a plenary indulgence act. Or a half hour of spiritual reading or meditation. Plenary indulgence, okay? Most of you are doing one of those or all of those every day. So you're doing a plenary indulgence act every day, right? So what's the other conditions? Secondly, reception of communion in a state of grace that day that you do that act. Okay, now most of you are doing that. Many are daily communicants, or at least many times a week, or at least once a week, for sure once a week. Okay. The third condition is to go to confession either eight days before or eight days after. So if you go every two weeks, that covers it. If you do the math, you take eight days before and eight days after, you add that up. If you're going to confession every two weeks, you got it covered every day. Now, Cardinal Burke, when he was head of the Roman Rota, actually expanded it to 20 days before and 20 days after. So basically, if you're going to confession every month, if you do the math... You got it covered, okay? Now, you can only receive communion if you're in a state of grace. If you're conscious of mortal sin, you don't receive communion, so you go before, okay? But, so you have the indulgence to act, communion in a state of grace, confession 20 days before, 20 days after. I still try to go to confession at least once every two weeks. I actually like to go every week. Many religious I know go every week. John Paul the Great, St. John Paul II, near the end of, end of his life anyway, used to go every day, and he sure was not sinning more than me. 
When I was a child, everybody went every Saturday. That was just the practice, right? My mother, if, you know, she knew how to try to keep peace in the family, you went to confession every Saturday. And if my mom couldn't go, we had to come back with evidence. We'd come back with a bulletin or, you know, we sort of liked uh, Palm Sunday because we could show her the palm, you know, here, Mom, you know, what, you know, those, (laughs) but every week, I I don't know, I don't think people are sinning less than they were 40 years ago, but maybe maybe I'm just out of it. I don't know, but I think I do know. It's a great sacrament, and it, it, you know we don't want to just wait till we get into mortal sin. You come immediately if you're in mortal sin, but you you know it's it's there's a grace received. There's actually grace to be strengthened against future temptations as well in that sacrament. It's a healing sacrament that actually helps you receive grace against future temptations as well. Okay? And you get counsel, God willing, good counsel from Jesus. Okay? So the conditions, the indulgence to act, communion, confession, right? And then prayers for the Holy Father's intentions, and our Father and a Hail Mary suffice. I like to th- have a glory be there for the Holy Father's intentions. And then the last condition is to be free from attachment to sin, even venial sin. Now, you know, on that one, give it to God. When I say that, that give it to God, unless you are intentionally saying, I am just... You know, I have this habit of stealing um, cigarettes and smoking them. Uh, It's just something that I just uh, enjoy doing, and I'm not going to give it up. Well, that's attachment, and that's a problem. (laughs) But if you're really trying your best and yet you're, you're falling into same, the same type of things, you know, just leave it to God, you know. It doesn't necessarily mean you have an actual attachment. I mean, if you're really trying not to be attached, okay, but give it to God. I should also add that you need to have the intention to receive the indulgence, so you form the intention. When I pray for the Holy Father's intentions, I say, I pray these prayers for the Holy Father's intentions, desiring to gain every indulgence and merit I can, and I offer them to you, Blessed Mother, to apply as you desire. Now, I'm, many of you know, I was a former attorney at law in California, so my relationship with God does still include some legal aspects, and I make things very clear <laughs> when, I, when I form my intentions. And I'm sure God... I'm I'm sure God smiles just like you smile. I I, I know it doesn't have to be that complicated. I remember when I was first discerning my vocation. And, I mean, I knew it within me. This little voice was growing and growing and growing. I knew I was, I mean, the call was there. But what I had to do, I, I picked the hardest possible novena on the planet Earth. But as my intention that was in the novena itself... I wrote like a whole page of things, but at the end I said I want a, something like a clear, unequivocal, absolutely um, uh, uh, undeniable communication that I'm called to the priesthood or something. I mean, I wrote this whole thing out. 
And I showed it to someone and they said, they said, look at you being, you know, a lawyer with God. You know, uh, th- there's the famous story of, of this man, he's in church, you know, and, and he's, he's got these important things to pray for. And, and so he was up and all night in adoration and he wrote all these things he's going to do for God. And in the end, he signed it and he went up and he put it on the altar. Now, this is a story, right, to make the point. He put it on the altar. And later he went up there to the altar after praying some more and he walked up there and everything was erased except for his signature but there was some writing on the paper now which said, I'll fill in the rest, signed God. <laughs> so I've come to that now. I don't write full pages of clear, absolute, unequivocal signs that communicate that I'm supposed to be a priest of the Ro- Holy Roman Catholic Church. Uh, you know, I sort of don't do that. But I do make my intention, you know, to offer the indulgence and give it to Mary. You know, an intention is important. When a priest offers the Holy Sacrifice, the Mass, he needs to have the absolute intention, according to the Roman rite, to bring forth the body and blood of Christ. He can't just walk up to the altar and just say, I'm saying the words. He has to have the intention. And actually, when there's mass intentions, I'm supposed to have that intention, whoever that mass is for, in my heart. I don't just say, oh, God, whoever the intention's for. I actually have that person in my heart. You would want that for you, right? If a mass intention's for you, you want the priest to have that. Intentions are important. Things in the heart are important to God, your intentions. But you don't have to be over-legalistic. I'll, I'll make that clear, okay? But that's my relationship with God. Pray for me. Okay. The scourging at the pillar. The crowning with thorns. Again, it relates to that whole thing of entering into poverty. Here's a great uh, insight that God gave me about the crowning with thorns. Okay, if you read Faustina's, St. Faustina's diary, and I urge you to do it, very powerful. You know, she says that, you know, they, after this brutal scourging, these soldiers, and you got to realize he was taken into the praetorium where there was the cohort. It says in the scriptures, the cohort. You know what a cohort is? It's one-tenth of a legion. A Roman legion is 6,000 soldiers. 6,000 soldiers. One-tenth is 600 soldiers. Why were there 600 soldiers in Jerusalem? Because it was the Passover, and they thought there there might be some kind of revolt. Okay, So there's all these soldiers in Jerusalem at the time, Pontius Pilate is concerned there might be a revolt, right? And these soldiers bring Jesus into the praetorium and they have him sit on this wood board with splinters and they, they rip off his clothes and open up his wounds again and they throw on this nasty military scarlet cloak that only covered part of him down you know, to his hip. And they're spitting on him and mocking him and Faustina says even punching him. They put this reed in his hand. But the Lord is just at peace. The the fruit of this mystery is fortitude. To go forward with courage. Fortitude. To go forward with courage. Now some interesting aspects of this mystery that 
little broken reed, remember, really represents the authority of Satan. Satan's power is like that little reed. But the thorns that Jesus, this is a real insight, the thorns that Jesus takes on his head, he takes on because of us. What happened with the original sin? What was the curse that mankind brought on himself through original sin as far as the man? He would earn his living by the sweat of the brow and all the earth would yield would be thorns and thistles, right? Thorns. That was the consequence of sin. Jesus takes those thorns on his head. St. Bridget of Sweden, in her revelations, and I urge you to pray those St. Bridget prayers, the 15 St. Bridget prayers, powerful, pray them for at least a year. You'll enter the, into, the, into the passion deeply. It talks about who Jesus is, then what he did for us, and what, we've, what we can earn, not earn, but what, what he can gift us through his passion. You'll really learn a lot about his passion, those St. Bridget prayers. But he had 72 to 73 thorns, and, and three of them were like mortal. They would send pain all the way down through his whole body because hitting the nerve endings in the head would send pain down through the shoulders and, and just, you know, pain through the whole body. But Jesus took this upon himself, and he's staying calm, even though he's being mocked and spit upon, punched and hit. And he has pity on those Roman soldiers. Again, entering their poverty. Here's where I really learned about entering another person's poverty. He saw the Roman soldiers, even though they were big and strong and soldiers, he saw them as very poor. Why do I say that? Because if the only thing you know how to do is use violence, you're very poor. If the only answer to whatever happens in your life is violence, you are the poorest of persons. Sometimes they'll say modernly, if the only tool in your toolbox is violence, you're poor. Another saying is, if the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, everybody starts to look like a nail. We need more tools in our toolboxes. Let's not just be hammers. The hammer has its use at times. St. Anthony, one of his titles was Hammer of Heretics, but it shouldn't be the only tool in the toolbox. Jesus teaches us meekness and humility and kindness and fortitude in that mystery. And all these are being taught by Mary. Mary has these virtues. Remember, if you're consecrated to Jesus through Mary, Mary can give you her virtues. A mother can share her virtues with you. Mary has these virtues. So the contrition for sin and the agony in the garden, how to really pray for people, Mary will teach you how to live that Eucharistic way of life of offering reparation and prayer for others. Mary will teach you how to endure the scourgings in life and the TTPS and to look for grace. She's full of grace. Mary will teach you about absolute purity. Mary will teach you how to be meek and humble in the midst of of violent people and to enter into their poverty and pray for them. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is praying for them. He's not focused on himself.
And that brings me to the way of the cross. And you can go through every station of the cross, and Mary will teach you about every one of these stations. Jesus stands before the powers of this world. The powers of the world would have no power over him unless the Father gave it to him. Jesus is the truth. The powers of this world today say, what is truth? Moral relativism, I don't have time to go into it. But our Blessed Mother will teach you how to stand before this world and testify to the truth that sets people free and to realize that this world has no power over you. Your mother will teach you the power of the Eucharist. That's the power of the Eucharist. And then how to embrace your cross. The power of the Eucharist. Now, Venerable Archbishop Fulton Sheen, he has an awesome way of the cross. Uh, the three falls of Jesus, and there were more than three, but in the stations of the cross, we have three. But Archbishop Fulton Sheen says the first fall is the fall due to the flesh. The second fall is the fall due to world. And the third fall is the fall due to the devil. Who are our three enemies? The devil, the flesh, and the world, right? But Jesus got up and kept going. He's going to get that cross to Calvary. That's where the church is right now. We're carrying that cross, and we've got to get it to Calvary. And we're going to get nailed, and we're going to be up there. That's what we have to do. And Mary will teach us how to do it by centering our life in the Eucharist. So those are the falls. But it's not, it's not that, it's that Jesus took our sins upon himself. And isn't it true that the flesh pulls us down to almost be like animals crawling on our belly? Jesus got up for us. Fourth station, he meets the Blessed Virgin Mary. The union of hearts. Talk about, there's an ultimate teaching in Mary, mother of the Eucharist. The union of hearts. The communion of hearts. Behold, I make all things new, Jesus says. The new Adam with the new Eve. Simon, the Cyrene, isn't really enthusiastic about carrying the cross, but he does, and it transforms him, and it affects his whole family, his sons, if you read scripture. His sons are even affected in a positive way by Simon having a share in carrying the cross. Jesus is so wonderful that he allows us to have a share in the cross, his cross. And then Veronica, the name means true image, vera icona, vera icona, true icon, true image. She wipes the face of Jesus out of kindness. She must have done this 10,000 times before because people don't just do acts of virtue at expense to self without having it built up in them. It's not like you just walk up and say, okay, well, this, you know, it's Jesus, so I'm going to do an act of kindness. We have to practice virtue. And then it just becomes a part of you no matter what the cost would be. And Veronica could have, could have suffered serious consequences for what she did. Jesus' second fall. The women wailing. But Jesus says, you know, don't wail for me. You know, if they do this to the green tree, what are they going to do to the dry tree? I'm doing this for you. He keeps going on. The third fall. But then he's stripped. And, and I, I like the 10th station 
I still like the tenth station. It, it reminds me of detachment and mortification and purifications that are necessary, but especially when I was a seminarian. That was my seminary. Just getting stripped of me. That's a big job. I still need it done. Stripping me of me. Mary will teach you all this is in the Eucharist. This is all in the Eucharist. The whole way of the cross is in the Eucharist. And Mary's there. And then Jesus is nailed to the cross. He puts out his right hand, the hand that he blesses with. Different religious communities have different interpretations of that nail. The three nails represent poverty, chastity, and obedience. Our community likes to say the right hand is obedience because that's the hand that Jesus blesses with. But Franciscans and the missionaries of charity like to say that the right hand is poverty because when you see that image of Francis embracing, I mean, Jesus embracing Francis, it's with the right hand. The main point is the nails are poverty, obedience, and chastity to be perfected in love. All this is in the Eucharist. The Eucharist is the sacrament of charity. It will help you stay nailed. The nails don't hold Jesus there. His love holds him there. Jesus dies on the cross. He gives the seven last words, including, Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. And this takes us to the fifth Mystery, the fifth sorrowful mystery. And those seven last words are Eucharistic. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. To have the ability to ask for other people's forgiveness and even to make excuses for them, you draw the strength from the Eucharist. Mary will teach you how to do that. This day thou shalt be with me in paradise, to desire everybody to be in paradise, That's having the Eucharistic heart of Jesus and Mary with her compassion united with Jesus' passion. Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. The new Eve with the new Adam to bring forth the new creation. But St. Ambrose said the church is born. The church is born from the open side of Christ. St. John Paul II says the church draws her life from Christ in the Eucharist. The church draws her life from Christ in the Eucharist. By him she is fed. By him she is enlightened. The Eucharist nourishes our union with Jesus. That's the bottom line. The Eucharist nourishes our union with Jesus. But I do want to share with you when Jesus says to John, take her in take her as your mother, he represents all of us, and he takes her into his home. As I shared with you earlier, this has changed my life. It means to take her into your interior life, not just your physical home, but take her into your interior life. Let her life permeate your whole being. She is the teacher of the Eucharistic mystery for us. She's the mother of the Eucharist. Jesus knew we needed this mother. Jesus gives himself on the cross. He gives us the relationship with the Father from the cross. He gives us the Holy Spirit, and he gives us his mother. 
after giving us himself. Wow. But then you enter the dark night of the spirit, which is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But you keep having trust in God's goodness and love. The Eucharist, St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, 40 years of darkness, but still did Eucharistic holy hours every day. But then I thirst, I thirst. And the missionaries of charity, they have three parts of their spirituality to satiate the thirst of Jesus. Loving trust, total surrender, and cheerfulness. Those are the three parts of their spirituality. Loving trust, total surrender, and cheerfulness. Let's satiate the thirst of Jesus. He thirsts for our love. He thirsts for union. Mother Teresa says that his thirst goes beyond even just a simple love. Of course, we know he thirsts for our faith, like the woman at the well. He thirsted for her faith. He thirsts for our love. But he thirsts for union. Wow, God wants union with us. He wants communion with us. That's the Eucharist. Mary at the foot of the cross will teach you what it means, Jesus, to thirst for you. He thirsts for you so much, he wants union with you. It's, almost, it's, it's, too, it's so amazing, it's almost too hard to believe, but believe it. Mary will teach you. And then... Jesus says, it's consummated, it's finished. We finish our work here on earth, whatever God has given us, and then we say, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. That's a good spirituality to walk all the time, your whole life, and everything, whatever happens in your life, TTPS or whatever, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Whatever happens, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. If you live that radically, you'll become a saint. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And then Mary receives the broken body of Christ. I'll just go to those last two stations of the cross, although we we just finished the fifth sorrowful mystery. But Mary receives the broken body of Christ. That's the church right now. Learn from Mary how to look at the broken body of Christ and with the power of the Eucharist to love the broken body of Christ. And then the Lord is put in the tomb, but he will rise. Sometimes he seems hidden, but he's there and he will rise. And your mother, our mother, the mother of the Eucharist, the Blessed Virgin Mary, will teach us how to live that Eucharistic life in these mysteries of the sorrowful mysteries of the Most Holy Rosary, living the way of the cross, but starting with the garden, moving all the way through the passion and knowing that it will lead to the resurrection.